Take your Bibles and turn with me to James chapter 5 as we work our way through the book of James. We're in the final chapter. James, the brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, and they shared the same mother, Mary, but they didn't share the same father for a while. James' father was Joseph, but Jesus' father was God, and James came to know the Lord after Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead and became the first pastor of the first church of Christianity, and that is the church of Jerusalem. And he is no mincer of words. You can tell that James grew up around Jesus, amen? Because when he speaks, he just speaks boldly. He doesn't pull any punches. He's very candid. And one of the recipients of James, uh, I guess, harshest words were Jewish rich people who had not been converted and how they would demean and really abuse Christians who had become followers of Jesus Christ and they were poor. These rich people, most of whom were Jewish, were persecuting literally the church of the Lord Jesus Christ and James had a lot to say about it. He said in James chapter 1 verses 9 through 11, but the brother of humble circumstances, talking about people who had accepted the Lord, the brother of humble circumstances, to glory in his high position, that is his spiritual position, and the rich man, says nothing about him being a brother, is to glory in his humiliation because like flowering grass, that rich man will pass away. For the sun rises with a scorching wind and withers the grass and its flower falls off and the beauty of its appearance is destroyed. So too that rich man in the midst of his pursuits will fade away. And that's not the only time James comes down on these rich people who were persecuting the poorer Christians. He said it in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. My brethren, don't hold your faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. For if a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there comes in also a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. And you say, you sit here in this good place. You say to the poor man, you stand over there, sit down by my footstool. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Is it not the rich who oppress you and personally drag you into court? And he goes on the next verse and said, and they also blaspheme the fair name by which you have been called, the name of Jesus. Now, are all rich people bad? No, it's not what he's talking about. You've got to understand the context. He's talking about the rich Jewish people who were persecuting the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, most of whom were very poor. Some of them were poor because they became Christians. Their families disowned them. They were just kicked out of the house. Many of them were just poor people. The poor people heard Jesus gladly. That's scripture, all right? So I want to talk to you today as we look at the final chapter of the book of James. James is talking about wealth and riches and what they can do to your heart. I want to say this to you. If God has blessed you financially, you need to guard your heart. You really need to guard your heart. Because if you hoard all that God gives you for yourself and your family, 
and you don't think about other people, and you don't see the needs of other people all around you, if God has given you financial means, if God has blessed you, I want to say this to you. It's a dangerous place to be because if you start hoarding it instead of looking around to minister to other people, God is going to discipline you. Not might, he is going to discipline you. Let's talk about rotting riches. Where in the world do you get that? Right out of the Bible. I love to get my titles out of the Bible, especially one like rotting riches, all right? Look at verse one. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. There they are. There it is. I just turned it around. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. He's talking about the fires of hell there. It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who moved your fields, mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you, cries out against you, and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You have lived luxuriously on the earth and led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You've condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. First of all, rotting riches ensure your demise. Take your notes there and Follow with me. Look at verse 1. Come now, you rich. And then notice this strong language. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. He's confronting people with wealth who did not know Jesus. He is stern and once again pulling no punches. And he uses unusually strong language even for James. He said, Come now, you rich, and then he tells them what to do, weep. The word weep there is clio. It means to sob. It means to weep uncontrollably. It's used when Peter denied Jesus to describe his Weeping. We read about that in Luke 22. After about an hour had passed, another man began to insist, saying, certainly this man also was with him, with Jesus, talking about Peter uh, being with Jesus, for he's a Galilean too. Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Immediately while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The only one that tells us that of the gospel writers, that Jesus looked at Peter after he denied him was Luke. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Then verse 62 says, and he went out and wept bitterly. That's the word clio. That's the word James uses in our text. Peter didn't just shed a tear. He sobbed bitterly, uncontrollably. Then James used another word that is really strong other than weep, he also said, I want you to howl. I want you to scream. I want you to wail. I want you to cry out. Ololudzu is the Greek word there. Not that you need to know that, but it's a, an animal squealing. It is this shriek. 
It's not just what happens when you stump your toe, it's when you fracture your ankle, <laughs> like my baby did just a few weeks ago. That hurt. It's when you really get injured seriously and you literally from the depths of your heart weep and gnash your teeth. He said, you need to do that because miseries are coming upon you. Look at verse one. Weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Severe distresses, these troubles are coming. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. And why are they coming upon you? Because you didn't use the things that God has given you to minister to other people. You used it all for yourself. And what you didn't use for yourself, you stored up for yourself to use later. And if you don't use it, it's just going to rot. And you don't care. You don't care about people around you hurting. You don't care that you've got something to eat and these people don't. You don't care that you've got clothes to wear and these people don't. You don't care Oh, you might get on a plane and go on a mission trip, but you won't go on a mission trip one mile away when somebody's hurting. That's what James is talking about. That's what he's talking about. He said, your riches have rotted. Your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver is rusted. It's rusted. It's tarnished. It's corroded. Even gold and silver wear out. All of their earthly goods would fade away. They'd fail them. Their riches would rot. Their clothing would be moth-eaten. We had a moth in our house yesterday. Donna said, kill it. I said, oh, I don't want to kill it. I don't want to kill that little moth. Now, why in the world I didn't, I cared about a moth? I don't know, but I, I tried to grab it. It was gone. It's still at our house. It's probably eating our clothes right now, all right? And how many of you know that that's what happens to stuff? Next time I'll kill it. I'm not going to fool with it anymore. Their gold and silver was tarnishing. That's what earthly riches do. They don't last. They just bring misery upon us. These rich people that were not helping other people were heading for a deadly train wreck. Their rotting riches ensured their demise. People who are lost focus on themselves for the most part, their own needs, not the needs of others. Jesus told a story about two men that exemplified that very vividly in Luke 16. You can follow me on the screen if you'd like to. Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen, purple, the color of royalty, and who lived each day in luxury. I mean, every day he had all he wanted. He could sleep till he wanted to get up. He, anything he wanted, he had. At the gate lay a poor man, though. Look at the contrast, named Lazarus. Not the brother of Mary and Martha, but another Lazarus who was covered with sores. As Lazarus lay there, longing for scraps from the rich man's table. He just wanted to eat. Just, just give me the, the stuff that you throw away. Give me your garbage. I'll eat your garbage if you will allow me to. And he was getting nothing. The only thing he got was the dogs. They'd come and lick his open sores. That was the only medicinal care he got, was the, any kind of medicinal 
properties in the saliva of the dogs. Finally, the poor man died and was carried by angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. No, no angels and no being escorted to Abraham in paradise. He was just buried. His soul went to the place of the dead, that is Sheol, which is hell there in torment. He saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. I believe that one of the parts of hell that will be the most hellish is that we're going to be able to see people in heaven. Whether they can see us, I don't know. All I know is there's a great chasm between. But we're not going to just suffer. People are not going to just suffer in hell and just be suffering there. They're going to be able to see the other side and know what they missed. That'll be the, the hell of all hells. And the Bible says the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. He thought he was still in charge. <laughs> I'm in anguish in these flames, but Abraham said to him, son, remember that during your lifetime, you had everything you wanted. Lazarus had nothing. So now he is here being comforted and you are in anguish. Everything gets flipped in eternity. Everything. Everything gets flipped. People who are wealthy here and don't care about anybody but themselves won't even be able to purchase a drop of water in hell. Not even a drop of water. Oh, you can buy anything you want now, but you don't care about anybody else, which is indicative of the fact that Jesus Christ is not in your heart because if Jesus is in you, let me tell you something, Jesus is a giver. He's not a hoarder. It's okay to save for need, but it is not okay to hoard for greed, all right? Can't do that. God's constantly laying people on your heart to give people things. You say, well, I'm, I'm not wealthy. I can't give. Look, God doesn't hold you accountable for what you don't have. He holds you accountable for what you do have. And if you've got anything, you can be a giver, all right? If you've got two hamburgers, you can give one of them away. And you know what? It would probably be good for you to do it anyway, all right? You don't have to be rich to be generous. You just have to be obedient and follow the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit. Whenever God prompts you, whenever you feel prompted to help somebody, listen to me, that's God. That's not us. We are selfish. When God prompts you to do something, go ahead and do it. And if you get to heaven and you gave too much, that's a lot better off than people that didn't give anything. I'd rather give too much. I'd rather get to heaven and God say, Gaines, you just gave too much. I can handle that. But I can't handle not giving what he told me to give. Rotting riches, ensure your demise. We live in a land of plenty, and yet there are people all around us who do without. Many people in this room, we've got jobs, we've got paychecks, we've got roofs over our head, food to eat, clothes to wear, vehicles to drive, other people to help us if we need. And within five miles of us, there are people living in abject poverty. James said, if you don't reach out to help people that are hurting, help them with their possessions. 
you are ensuring your demise. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 5.13, there's a grievous evil which I have seen under the sun, riches being hoarded by their owner to his hurt. Beware of stockpiling. It's okay to save for future needs. It's okay to save for things for your children like college or weddings or something like that. And I want to say this to you. If you don't know about girl weddings, <laughs> you better check that out real quick, all right? Paid for three of them, all right? Nothing wrong with paying off your house. Nothing wrong with saving a little bit for the future. But I want to say this to you. When you step over into hoarding and you don't want to give anybody anything, anytime, you are in a bad state of affairs. Weep and howl, James says, miseries are coming upon you because rotting riches ensure your demise. Secondly, rotting riches earn your denunciation. You should be denounced for not helping other people. Look at the middle part of verse five, uh, three. And their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. The rotten riches and the Moth-eaten garments and the rusted gold and silver are going to stand up and testify in the halls of heaven against you. That's what he's saying. They're going to be a witness. They're going to be a testimony in God's heavenly court. And your rotting riches that you thought would last forever, they're going to be consumed by the fires of hell. It is in the last day, he says, that you have stored up your treasure. That's an eschatological, an end of time reference there, a phrase that Jesus is coming, Christ is coming. Don't stockpile money. Don't do that. No, no, no. Don't stockpile money. Save souls. Invest in ministries. Don't just think about yourself. Think about all the people around you. When God blesses you, he blesses you to be a blessing not just so that you can be blessed. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one, that includes everybody, including the preacher, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot, not you will not, you cannot serve God and wealth, cannot. They also cheated those who labored under them. Look at verse four. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been, and which has been withheld by you cries out against you. That money that you didn't pay the people that did work for you is crying out in heaven against you just like the blood of people that enter, are shed when it's innocent blood cries out from the ground. You read about that in the first murder. When Cain killed Abel, the blood was crying out to God of an innocent man. The outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. They didn't pay their people on time. And some didn't pay them at all. These rich bosses treated their workers with contempt. They'd worked in the field. They needed the money for their families to eat, to put clothes on their children's back. And these workers, these workers needed it, but their bosses didn't want to give it. They wanted to increase their profits. Oh boy, the Bible denounces that. Look at these verses. Just don't, don't, 
Don't waste this time. Look on the screen. I'll just give you a panoramic view of how many times the Bible condemns withholding a worker's pay. It's just five little verses. You can get a lot more out of the Bible, but here's some strong ones. Deuteronomy 24, 4, 15. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets, for he is poor. He sets his heart on it. People that are poor look forward to their paycheck so that he will not cry against you to the Lord and it becomes sin in you. Leviticus 19, 13, you shall not oppress your neighbor nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. Proverbs 22, 16, he who oppresses the poor to make more for himself or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Jeremiah 22, verse 13, woe to him who builds his house without righteousness and the upper rooms with justice without justice who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages and then paul said in first timothy 5 18 for the scripture says the laborer is worthy deserving of his wages pay people what you owe them pay people what you owe them for 200 years the first 200 years of america there were millions of people that were slaves. We don't like to talk about it. It's one of the darkest truths of our nation. We may have been a Christian nation in some sense, but I got news for you. Millions. Mil there were nine million slaves at the time of the Civil War. And there were multiple millions that had already been slaved and had died. We didn't pay them anything. Instead, we ripped them apart from their families, sold them like cattle, treated them like dirt. One of the best-known Christian hymns is Amazing Grace. Did you know that the man who wrote it before he got saved was a slave trader? John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. 1772, growing up, his parents were religious but not devout. He got a job at sea working on ships. And when he was at sea, his life, as his song says, was filled with dangers, tolls, and snares. There were many times he almost died but didn't. It was like God just had providentially his hand upon him. Eventually, even though he refused to turn to God, he met the Lord, but he joined the British Navy. He was such a bad soldier, they kicked him out. He got on a ship that was transporting slaves and got into the slave trading business. Down in Sierra Salone, in that Sierra Leone, he caught malaria and he was in prison, he was so poor, and the man and the woman, the woman that enslaved him, literally abused him physically and every other way. I won't go into it. It's so perverted. And that's where he talked about a saved a wretch like me. That's where his wretchedness came from. Finally got healed of malaria, broke out of there, got on another ship. And while it was sailing, it's like God was after him. A typhoon came through and he 
Didn't know if he'd make it. And it was during that night, he was reading a book by Thomas Akempis, Imitation of Christ. And while the water was coming all around him and he was floating on that boat thinking he was going to die, he gave his heart to Jesus Christ. Came back to England, got out of the slave trading business. And in a little bitty church, only in only England, I've been to that church, they asked him to be their pastor. And he agreed. And he immediately started preaching, writing songs. In 1772, he wrote Amazing Grace. 60 years later, they put that poem to music in America. And he became one of the strongest advocates of anti-slavery in all of England. He said, we don't need to work people and not pay them. That is wrong. Nobody wants to live like that. He wrote a pamphlet called Thoughts Upon the African Slave Trade. He came upon a friend there and only, William Cowper, also pro-abolitionist songwriter. Have you ever heard the song, by the way? There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. Cowper wrote that, wrote it in Olney. A little bitty town, isn't that how God works? These two giants were in this little bitty town. And then they had an encounter with William Wilberforce who was in parliament and they said, you're the one that God wants to stop slavery in England. 1789, Newton persuaded Parliament member William Wilberforce to issue a bill to end slavery in England. Fifteen years later, 1804, the bill passed the House of Commons. Three years later, 1807, it passed the House of Lords, and King George III declared slavery illegal in England, all because a man got right with God and said, we need to pay people what we owe them. We need to pay people what we Owe them. And no doubt, James' verse here in chapter 5, verse 4 Behold, the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld of you cries against you. No doubt, scriptures like that touched his heart. When you don't pay people what you owe them, you treat them like a slave. I want to repeat that. When you don't pay your debts, when you don't pay people that you owe, you treat them like a slave. And God will discipline you for it. God doesn't want you, he doesn't want his children to be stingy and selfish. He doesn't want you to rip people off. If you owe somebody, pay them. Don't find some legal, don't find some fancy lawyer in a legal loophole to get out of it. If you owe somebody, man up, woman up, and pay it. I don't care what the law says. Pay it. Pay it. Pay what you owe. If you don't pay your debts, God will punish you. Rotting riches earn your denunciation. Well, rotting riches, letting your riches just rot in your little savings account instead of helping people, not saying you don't have any savings account, but I'm saying don't get greedy about it. When God prompts you to give, you better do it. Because that prompting might become less and less simply because God's hardening your heart. If you can feel any prompting whatsoever to help somebody else, man, get after it. 
Rotting riches ensure your demise, earn your denunciation, and expose your depravity. Depravity, number three. Look at verse five. You've lived luxuriously on the earth. You've led a life of wanton pleasure. You've fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. He's talking about livestock being fattened up so they can be sold and slaughtered. James pointed out the depravity of these wealthy people that wouldn't help anybody else. Poor people all around them barely making it. And they're living in luxury. Life of wanton pleasure while everybody else around them, poor people all around them, suffering hardships. They were feasting and indulging while everybody around them was lacking food. He said, you're fattening your hearts. You're headed for a day of slaughter. Verse six, you've condemned, you've put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. You've got your lawyers. You can sue people and they don't have a lawyer and you can take them down, you rich man. But they're innocent, they're poor, they're righteous. They have no legal means to defend themselves. But James said, I'm going to tell you this, the judge of all the universe is going to judge you one day. And just like they can't defend themselves, you're not going to be able to defend yourself before God. When you take everything that he's given you and you hoard it for yourself and you don't give any of it to anybody else. I can remember my daddy as plain as day. My dad grew up in a poor family. He was the man of the house in the ninth grade, had to quit school. We were rabbit hunting one day and I came across this shack and he said, come in with me. We walked in. He said, this is where I grew up. And one third of the house had a dirt floor. No running water, nothing. And my dad got a job on the railroad after World War II and he did good. And he asked me after he retired, he said, why has God been so good to me? Why has God blessed me? I told him what I told you a while ago. To, I was 21 or two years old. I said, all I know is God blesses us so we can be a blessing. And my daddy helped people all the time. My mother helped people all the time. When my mother died at her funeral, I can't tell you how many dozens of people, Don and I were standing there together, and how many people, there was a little lady that came up, she was a nurse, African-American lady, and she said, your mom bought my daughter's clothes all through school. Never said anything about it to anybody. One lady had a house that was hit by a tornado, lost all of her furniture. My mother bought a whole house full of furniture for her. Stuff all, all the time. She was always giving. She just gave all the time. And it's like the more she gave, the more God gave to her. It's just unreal. She was a janitor. Had a janitorial service. Worked about 50 people. I'm not trying to brag on my parents. I'm trying to tell you, I have seen giving take place in my life by people who grew up poor. I've seen it. I've seen people get their hearts set free from covetousness and start giving. And you know what? When they died, 
They didn't leave behind rotting riches. And I don't want to leave any behind either. Do you? I want to use it now for the glory of God. Amen belongs there. There's a man in the Bible named Barak ben Nariah. You said, I don't know who that is. Well, I want to say this to you. Very seldom do I stop my wife on Bible stuff. She's brilliant. She's read the Bible as more than, or she just, she knows the Bible. And I said, do you know who Baruch is? And I thank the Lord, I guess, that's the one time she said, no. I finally knew something in the Bible that she didn't know. It was awesome. Probably never happened again. <laughs> Baruch was the scribe, the secretary, the devout friend of the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah. By the way, I've told you this before. Jesus quoted Jeremiah more than any other prophet in the Bible. Baruch means blessed. Ben means son of. Neriah means light of Yahweh, the blessed son of the light of Yahweh. According to Josephus, the ancient Jewish historian, Baruch came from a very wealthy family, but he was a secretary for Jeremiah, a man who really the world called a failure because he didn't have a lot of converts, if any. He was always going into jail, getting beaten up. For 40 years he preached until his prophecies all came true. He was a secretary to this man. He transcribed his prophecies and sometimes, at the risk of his own life, read those prophecies to kings. Baruch suffered right alongside with Jeremiah. And when Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian army came in to destroy and burn the temple in 586, 5. 87, Baruch was right there with Jeremiah, wondering if they were going to be killed too. They didn't kill them though. He was right there when Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations, lamenting what had happened to Jerusalem, crying over the destruction of the city. But there's a fascinating text in Jeremiah 45. I'm setting this up to show you that even people who are right with God sometimes can long for the wrong things. There's this time in, in Baruch's life that he remembers his growing up days when he had everything he wanted. Now he's been hanging out with this prophet who has nothing materialistically. And he starts to say, you know, should I go after some riches or whatever? And Jeremiah knows it without even him saying anything. When there's a real prophet of God, you better be careful what you think. <laughs> Because they hear from God. And he lovingly rebukes him with this beautiful phrase. Listen to it now. Jeremiah 45. The prophet Jeremiah gave a message to Baruch, son of Neriah, in the fourth year of the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah. Josiah, one of the best kings in the whole Bible. After Baruch had written down everything Jeremiah had dictated, wrote the whole book of Jeremiah. Baruch was the secretary for that. He said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, Baruch. You have said, I'm overwhelmed with trouble. Haven't I had enough pain already? You're feeling sorry for yourself, Baruch, aren't you? 
and now the Lord has added more. I'm worn out from sighing. I can find no rest. How many of you ever feel like that? You say, you know what, I'm just worn out. I, I don't think I can take anymore. Baruch just having a pity party. Think about a pity party. Whenever you have a pity party, nobody comes to it, not even God. He's going, ah, woe is me, woe is me. And now the Lord has added, I'm worn out from sighing. I can find no rest. Baruch, verse 4, this is what the Lord says. Ready, boy? Here it comes. I will destroy this nation, talking about Judah, that I built. I will uproot what I have planted. I wonder if God's saying that about America right now. Even though he planted this nation, you know what? He's got a right to pull it up. If we don't get right with him. Now here it is. Look at verse 5. Baruch, are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it. I will bring great disaster upon all these people, but I will give you your life as a reward forever. Wherever you will go, I, the Lord, have spoken. Baruch, the whole thing is going down. It's going to be burned. Nebuchadnezzar is going to wipe it out. Are you, at a time like this, are you seeking great things? And I want to ask you, have you ever lived in a time in America where there's more tension, where there's more problems? When we're, for the last 10 or 15 years, it just seems like it's escalated more and more. Every time you turn around, there's bad news. And then somebody out there is just wanting to profit during this time and forget everybody else. I just want to make some money, somebody says. And God is saying to you, is it really time for that? Is this the time? For you to be thinking about getting ahead financially? Or is this the time for you to think about helping other people? Oh, man, Jeremiah, you're spot on. No wonder Jesus quoted you. Seeking great things for yourself, don't do it. Our world is falling apart. China and Russia, do you know what they're doing? They are escalating all of their nu nuclear capabilities as never before. Again, the Taliban is taking over Afghanistan again, just like it was before the year 2000. Israel has enemies everywhere you look. You're talking about revelation stuff. You're talking about end of time stuff. You're talking about the real stuff. The Holy Land is hated. Socialists, communists, LGBTQ are advancing. Our nation is on fire. And you know what? We're focused on the stock market. Who cares about the stock market? Amen. What does it matter if we're getting more money and the whole thing's going down the toilet? When your house is burning, your children inside, you don't weep for the clothes and the furniture, you weep for the children. When an army invades, you don't keep watching football on ESPN. There comes a time where you have to wake up and say, you know what? Things are not going right, and I need to get right with God. And I need to quit thinking about myself and my little family and start thinking about other people and saying, God, how can I be used of you in the kingdom of God in these days which look like the last days? I don't want to be just selfish and think about myself. Me, my little pile, no. I don't want to have rotten riches. I don't want to stand before you and have rotten riches. 
I'll give you some ways to share right here in Memphis. I'll give you, I'm gonna tell you about, write this down or take some notes or, I'll tell you what, we'll put it on the screen right now. And you can, if you'll take a picture of this, you'll have everything I'm gonna have, okay? Is that okay? You say, well, put it up there. Okay, I will, do it. Put, put that uh, screen, there you go. Just take a picture of these Red Door Urban Missions. Now, what does that do? It goes into the inner city apartment complexes in Memphis and engages lost people meeting physical and spiritual needs. And you need to give to ministries like that. You say, how can I do it? You can either give to our missions program or give to them directly at their website. Take a picture of it. World Relief, Refugee Resettlement Ministry that acclimates people from other countries to Memphis and shares the gospel with them. And you're talking about Muslims and everything else getting the gospel. Being Hampton Christian Academy, low and sometimes free tuition. To, it's a faith-based Christian school in Memphis and it even gives little boys and girls that don't have families boarding. You can give to this ministry. The Morning Center, medical ministry focused on mothers that choose life. They, they don't abort their babies. They come to this place after they have chosen to give birth to their baby instead of having an abortion. They get free prenatal care and it helps their baby after they're born. Why in the world wouldn't you want to help somebody like that? Refugee Memphis, after World Relief, helps them for about nine months, then Refugee Memphis steps in and takes care of the people, and they also plant churches to reach all these people from Afghanistan and other places like that. And then my wife's ministry that she does not make, make never has made a penny off of, Arise to Read. It increases literacy for second and third graders in the inner city, public schools, helps them thrive academically. Then they have Bible clubs where they can learn about Jesus. Currently in 38 elementary schools in Shelby County, and they're in 14 states now. 14 states. We have trained thousands of people just like you to help little kids learn to read. It takes one hour a week, and this Wednesday at 9.30 here at Bellevue Baptist Church, Arise to Read will train you and tell you exactly what to do. Can you give one hour a week to help a kid learn to read so that they can read to learn? So I can't write all that down, but Steve, you didn't have to. You can actually text the name missions to 901-901 and watch what happens. It all comes up on your phone. Why didn't you tell us that a while ago? I just like to mess with you, that's why. <laughs> I don't want you looking at your phone and then going over there, get on social media and you won't hear the last part of the sermon, amen. Rotting riches expose our depravity. Nobody can do everything. Listen to what I'm about to say. Nobody in this room can do everything, but everybody can do something. Don't use the excuse that there's just too much. I'm overwhelmed. Get off of that and get involved. Do one thing, if nothing else. You can give through. You can give. You can participate. Get going. 
George Washington leading the American Continental Army against this unbelievably strong British Army and Navy who had invaded America was upset with American citizens. Do you know why? Because, take Valley Forge, he had to build 2,000 huts by just going out finding his own lumber. He had thousands of men who were sick. It was the coldest winter they'd had in forever. And he could not get the citizens of the United States who wanted the freedom that he was offering, but that he could not get them to sell him any food for his soldiers, clothing. Many of these guys had no shoes. I'm talking about they were barefoot and it was there just outside of Pennsylvania and they were freezing to death. Many of them, hundreds of them froze to death that winter. They died of diseases. And it's because instead of selling them food and clothing and munitions and all of that, they sold it to the British Army because the British Army would give them gold and the Continental soldiers could only give them this currency that was devaluated, devalued. You say, Brother Steve, you're telling me that they gave the enemy the food? and Yeah, they did because they wanted the money. They weren't thinking long-term. They weren't thinking about the freedom of the nation. They were thinking about money. Now, before we get on to them, what do you think about? How often do you check your financial status? How often do you look at how much you've got in retirement and savings? And if you looked at it last week, it hadn't changed much this week. Why are you so obsessed with that? I'll tell you why. Because you're leaning on that instead of him. And you want that more than you want him. And you don't want to help anybody else because you are in love with rotting riches. Do you see how sinister it is? Do you see how sly the devil can be? Some of y'all have got enough clothes to clothe five families. Some of you have enough shoes to shoe up a whole lot of people. Some of you got way more than you'll ever use. And the thought of helping somebody doesn't really touch your mind very much. Just keep reading James 5, 1 through 6, and see how that's going to work out for you. Would you stand and read it with me, please? Read it one more time. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for your miseries which are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. 
Your gold and your silver have rusted and your, their rust will be a witness against you and will consume your flesh like fire. It's in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Behold the pay of the laborers who mowed your fields and which has been withheld by you cries out against you and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. You've lived luxuriously on the earth. You have led a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and put to death the righteous man. He does not resist you. If that stings, there's a reason. That's called application. All I'm saying is, if you're blessed, and we all are, you're blessed to be a blessing. You're not blessed to stockpile and hoard. You don't want to trust in the stuff. You want to trust in the Savior. And I'm asking you to start helping and ministering to other people. We're about to have the Lord's Supper. Is there any greater picture of somebody leaving wealth and riches to come help poor people? Is there a better illustration than Jesus leaving the riches of heaven, coming to this sinful, wretched earth to help poor sinners like us? Aren't you glad Jesus helped us when we couldn't help ourselves? That's what he wants you to do.